Good morning, everyone. We doing good? Yes. Great, great. We're going to look at the story of Jonah today. So let's turn to Jonah in our Bibles. Uh, Jonah is, of course, one of the minor prophets, which means he's right towards the end of the Old Testament. If you get to Obadiah, take a right. If you get to Micah, take a left. Book of Jonah's in the middle. The story of Jonah is, of course, a bit of a Sunday school classic, isn't it? If you were brought up in church, without a doubt, you will have been brought up hearing the story of Jonah. It's a story we like to tell our kids. It's a story that kids enjoy hearing, and I think that's because it's quite a dramatic story, isn't it? Now, cards on the table. If you were to read this story with no faith background and no real relationship with God, your first reaction would be, I write. <laughs> sure you did. Swallowed by a fish, Jonah. Did you? Did you? Aye. <clears throat> sure you did. Because it's quite a far-fetched story. I'm sure you would agree with me. And therefore, as we kind of jump into it this morning in order for us to be able to take this and say, okay, we can build a, a belief and an understanding on this. The first important place to begin is with determining the historicity of the book of Jonah. In other words, is this for real? And the place that we begin is in the very first verse where it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, two facts are presented to us here. The first is that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and we'll come to that in a bit. The second is that Jonah is the son of Amittai. Now what we do in order to determine this is that we take these two facts and we look to see is there anywhere else in scripture that supports these facts or that backs these facts up? Because you never build a belief or a doctrine based on one scripture but where the scripture repeats something and reinforces something many times that's a doctrine or a belief that you can hang your hat on. So we look to see, is there anywhere that these facts are backed up and supported in Scripture? And we come to 2 Kings 14 and verse 25, where it tells us about King Jeroboam II. And it says of King Jeroboam that he was the one that restored the boundaries of Israel in accordance with the word of the Lord, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet. So here again, we've got the exact same facts presented. He is one who hears from God and speaks from God, but he's also the son of Amittai. Now, the fact that it's recorded for us in Kings is important because 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles are viewed as historical records of the nation of Israel. So the fact that this details, this information, the fact that Jonah is mentioned in these history books and this historical account helps us to understand that Jonah wasn't just a metaphor or some parable to paint pictures of God. Jonah was an actual person that existed in an actual time and an actual place and had an actual function and of course we're told that he's one to whom the word of the Lord is spoken he's one who hears God speak to him he's one who hears the voice of God and so we begin to explore this account of Jonah and as we do we much like the other weeks we kind of look at this through a particular lens building on the themes of soul restoration and purpose we look at it through a particular lens four words Four words that I think God would speak to us this morning, and the four words are this. It's not too late. It's not too late. Four simple words. 
And maybe these four words are a message that you need to hear from God this morning. And if that is the case, please open up your heart and hear these words spoken to you as though it was the voice of God speaking them himself. It's not too late. Let's unpack that thought as we look at Jonah. We begin obviously in verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. God speaks to Jonah and he commissions him. This is almost like a kind of 007 Miss Moneypenny moment. Jonah, I've got a job for you. I've got a task for you. I've got a mission for you. And the mission is Nineveh. I'm sending you on Operation Nineveh. Now, any of the rest of us would be absolutely delighted to hear God speak to us so directly. To hear God speak to us so clearly, to reveal specifically what it is that he would want us to do. Without a doubt, the biggest question that pastors get asked is, what does God want me to do right now? What is it he's saying? What is his plan? What is his purpose in all of this? So any of us would give our right arm to hear God speak to us as clearly, as profoundly, as specifically as God does to Jonah here. Any of us would be delighted, but Jonah's not. It says in verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarsus, or Tarshish. Whenever I try and say it, it sounds like I don't have my false teeth in properly. We'll go with Tarsus. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarsus. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarsus to flee from the Lord. Jonah didn't like what he'd heard from God. And that's a really interesting point. Because we all want to hear from God. We all want to hear the voice of God. We all want to hear his guidance and his direction, his wisdom and his revelation. We all want to have the depth of relationship where we hear him speak directly into our lives. But here's something important. When God speaks, sometimes he says things we don't want to hear. And we often have this mindset, don't we, that every time God speaks, it's all warm and fuzzy and cuddly and lovely and enjoyable. But sometimes when God speaks, he can say things that we don't necessarily want to hear. Sometimes he can have difficult conversations with us. And he can say things that are difficult to hear, like areas of our hearts that we need to deal with or attitudes that aren't quite correct or behavior that needs to be changed or relationships and influences that have to be altered, consequences that we need to confront, sin we need to repent of. However, that, that's all stuff that we recognize that God will speak to us about. And we know that when he speaks to us about it, it's never really comfortable. But when God speaks to Jonah, he doesn't speak to him about his behavior or his conduct or his sinfulness. He speaks to him about purpose. He speaks to him about calling. He speaks to him about his ministry. Jonah doesn't like what he hears, so he runs away. Now notice what Jonah is doing here in relation to God's call and purpose. He's choosing not to acknowledge it. 
He's choosing not to believe it, not to follow it. By getting on the boat and heading in the completely opposite direction of Nineveh, he's choosing not to live his life in accordance with God's word. He's choosing not to allow the purpose of God to dictate his life's journey, but instead he's choosing to dictate his own life's journey. He's refusing to let the call and the purpose of God determine his life's direction. Instead of being moved by the call of God, he's ignoring it. He runs from God. Let me ask a question and permit me to be personal and direct in the wording and the language that I use. But are you running from God this morning? You might be like, well, that's a really ridiculous question because I'm sitting in a church. Of course I'm not running from God. Of all the places I could have been on the face of the earth today, I don't know why I said in the face of the earth, and all the places I could have been this Sunday, I've chosen to come and be in this house, in this place, in this space, at this moment, gathering around the word of God, worshipping him. How can I be running from him? If you're watching at home, you're thinking, I've taken time out to plug into this, to make space for God to speak into my life and to hear his word. How can I be running from God? Well, you see, sometimes God says stuff that we don't like or stuff that we find difficult about our hearts, about our behavior, about our addictions, about our lifestyles, maybe even about our call and our purpose. Maybe he tells us something that we need to change and we think, it's a bit difficult. Or maybe he targets that habitual sin and that recurring problem, that area of addiction. He says, right now, that, it's time for that to go. And we think, well, that's absolutely impossible. Or maybe he gives us a glimpse of our call or he asks us to do something for him and, and we think, well, if we do that, that's going to change everything. That's bigger than what I'm capable of. That's just something that I can't do or, or something that I'm not necessarily the right person to do or just plain and simply, it's not something that I want to do. So we choose not to acknowledge it. We dismiss it. And we have inner conversations like, I think I just made that up. I didn't really hear from God. I, I don't think God is saying that to me. I don't think I've got that right. I can't really hear from God. So, so I, we, we choose not to live in accordance with what he's spoken. We kind of ignore it. We fail to let it determine our direction and our, our journey. And this morning I would put to you that when we fail to run with the purpose of God, we actually run from the God of purpose. When we fail to run with the word that God has given us, we actually run from the God of the word. Now we might not be jumping on a ship and heading for the south of Spain like Jonah did, but when we choose not to acknowledge the word or the purpose of God, when we choose not to follow what he's spoken, when we fail to allow him and his word to dictate our journey and our direction, when we refuse to be moved by the word of God, we do exactly what Jonah did. We run from God could be something like a portion of scripture that every time we hear it or read it, it pierces our hearts and challenges us about an aspect of who we are and that God wants to change. And every time we read it, every time we hear it, we, we get challenged at the core and the stomach begins to churn and we know that we need to act upon it. But when we fail to act upon it, we think to ourselves, well, eventually the conviction will just lift and eventually the urgency of it will wane and disappear. We'll just ride it out for a bit. Or maybe it's an aspect of God's call and purpose, something he's asked us to do, something he's asked us to be, something he's asked us to achieve. And as we glimpse it, we immediately dismiss ourselves as, well, we're not holy enough for that. 
or we're not good enough for that, or we're not equipped enough, or perhaps we see just how much change it will involve, or how much it's going to cost us, so we just ignore it and let it pass over us. Every time we fail to run with the word God gave us, we actually run from the God who gave the word. How are you running this morning? Has he been speaking to you about you? Is he revealing again your call, your purpose? Is there something he's asking you to do, to be, to achieve? Yes, we have to realize that there'll be times when God speaks and we don't like what we hear. But when we fail to run with the word of God, we run from the God of the word. Are you running? The big lesson this morning from Jonah is this, it's not too late. God didn't give up on Jonah. He didn't remove his hand in his presence and condemn Jonah to judgment. No, God took Jonah on a journey to deal with the hardness of his heart and in the process, he revealed to him the heart of God. Let's look at that a little bit further. Let's look at Jonah 1 verse 4 through to verse 17. We're going to read a big chunk together. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked them, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked them, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, it'll become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pick up on some points from these verses. Jonah set sail for Tarsus when he should have been traveling to Nineveh. To give you an idea of his journey, we reckon that when Jonah received this word from God, this call, he was in Gath-Nefer, which today we would understand has been by the coastal area of Israel. He sailed for Tarsus, which is located in the very southern tip of Spain. But where God wanted him was Nineveh, which we understand today has been in the very heart of Iraq. Jonah's heading for Spain when God wants them in Iraq. Now, I know which one I'd choose. And I'm guessing I know which one you'd choose. But the point here is, 
Jonah's heading in the completely wrong direction in life. So God sends a storm. And that's important. The scriptures make it clear. They didn't happen to steer into a storm. It wasn't that suddenly the storm just descended due to the weather system. No, it says very specifically, God sent the storm. The storm originated with God. The storm came from God. God sent this storm across Jonah's path to stop him going in the wrong direction in life. Ever had those moments when you're just journeying along and suddenly out of absolutely nowhere comes a storm so severe that it actually changes your whole direction in life? Ever wondered where that came from? The storm that Jonah was in was a storm that threatened to break up the boat and take the life of the crew who were transporting Jonah to Tarsus. So the crew threw Jonah overboard. You know, sometimes when we make decisions and choices that take us in the wrong direction in life, God gets to work in and he gets to work to use our circumstances and our surroundings to actually stop us dead in our tracks and turn us around. Sometimes when we settle for plan B, God steps in and dismantles plan B. Sometimes God throws plan B out the window, or more specifically in Jonah's case, he chucks us out of plan B's window. Sometimes when we are buddying up and begin to journey in life with those that facilitate us going in the wrong direction, God steps in and removes these people from our lives, or specifically removes us from their lives. When we begin to go in the wrong direction, God can get to work in our circumstances and our surroundings to turn us around, to dismantle plan B, to make it so that it isn't even a feasible option. And he removes from our company and from our journey those that are taking us in the wrong direction. And often in the midst of all of this, when we're going through the storm, when everything falls apart, we can ask God, God, what is the purpose in all of this? When in actual fact, maybe we need to realize it's the God of purpose that's at work in all of this. Because you see, with God, it's not too late. We can never outjourney the purpose of God. When we fail to pursue the purpose of God, the God of purpose pursues us. Jonah got in a boat and headed in the wrong direction. He ran from God. He failed to pursue the purpose of God, but God came after him. God pursued him. There are times when God comes after us. There's times when God inserts himself into our world and into our surroundings and he begins to move pieces about and he begins to adjust the pathway and he begins to nudge the direction and he begins to pull things down and he begins to build things up. He closes things, he uproots things, he removes things. We've just got to be careful that we don't start trying to open what he's closed and put back in place what he's uprooted. That we don't become so focused on trying to recover what we've lost and we come to him in the midst of all and go God where are you in all of this when in actual fact it could just be his fingerprints are all over it even in pain we've got to take time to perceive the purpose of God and the presence of God and to perceive that in every circumstance he is at work because it's not too late now put yourself in Jonah's shoes for a moment 
God has just spoken to him. He's asked him to do something that he struggles with. So he decides to take a long-term vacation in the south of Spain. Sounds like a great idea. And as he sets off on his Mediterranean cruise, this mother of a storm turns up. And he finds himself in a major crisis. In fact, he's in grave danger. When you read this, it's like Jonah just can't catch a break. And in the midst of all of that, his mood plummets. Why wouldn't it? God spoke to him, said something he doesn't really want to hear. And he's like, no, nah, I'm not up for this. I'm not interested, God. So I'm just going to run from this. And he runs and God comes after him. And he's heading, I'm going to take some time out. I'm going to do some R&R in the south of Spain. And God sends a storm that is threatening to actually destroy his cruise ship. My mood would plummet. His mood plummets. In fact, he's in a very dark place when he says to the crew, pick me up and throw me into the sea. I know it's my fault that this great storm is on you. To say that Jonah is on a downer would be a massive understatement. Things in life have got pretty grim for Jonah. He feels like all the odds are against him. Everything that could go wrong is going wrong. It's almost as though he's in one of those seasons where he feels like everything he touches breaks. He's in one of those woe is me type moods. And actually it's pretty serious. It's almost as though Jonah knows the error of his ways. He's running from God. He's crossing the sea to a new land to get as far away as possible from God and as far away as possible from God's plan for his life. And as he's making the journey, the storm descends and he has a bit of an epiphany moment, a penny dropping moment, a coming to the senses moment. And I don't know about you, but they always seem to happen to me at the crisis points, at the apex of the storm. He's making this journey and the storm descends. The epiphany happens where he realizes actually he's in the wrong. And it happens at the moment when the storm is breaking out and everyone's praying to their God to no avail. And they ask him, who are you? And he answers them, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Here's Jonah crossing the sea to a new land to run from God. But when the storm hits, he realizes, hang on a minute, my God is the God that made the sea and the land. I can't outrun this guy. I can't outrun this God. He's the God that made the sea. He's the God that made the land. So there is nowhere that I can go to hide from him. And he hits this major depression. I'm trying to get away from this God and this purpose that he's set for me and I'm going as far away as I possibly can but he comes to the realization there's nowhere that I can go that is far away. He hits a major downer. He believes he's cursed. He believes that this crisis that he's in is one that can't be fixed, that can't be resolved. He's beyond breaking point. He doesn't want to live anymore. So he asks the crew to throw him overboard. He wants to end his own life. The reason that we know it's so severe is that he doesn't even have the energy to do it himself. He doesn't just say, this is all my fault, and just go to the edge of the boat and throw himself over. He's so weak, he's so down, he's so low that he can't even do it himself, so he has to get them to do it for him. Jonah is not in a good place. Long story short, the crew threw Jonah into the sea, and as he's drowning in the raging tempest, 
God sends along a fish to swallow him up and he's rescued. You see, it's not too late. Jonah was in a crisis. He was in a crisis that he thought could not be fixed. He believed he was cursed. He was beyond breaking point. His world is falling apart. His life is a complete mess. He doesn't want to live anymore. And as his life spiraled out of control, God rescued him. Maybe today you identify with Jonah. Maybe you're facing a real crisis, a trial right now. You feel that everything that you touch breaks. You feel cursed that nothing is going right. You're at breaking point or maybe beyond breaking point. You don't know if you can go on or maybe you've already resolved that you're giving up. I want to say this to you. It's not too late. It's not too late for God to rescue you. No situation is too far gone. No diagnosis or prognosis is too bleak. No crisis is too severe. No storm is too fierce. No curse is too strong. Nothing is too broken. It's not too late for God. See, sometimes we get this mindset, don't we, that if God was going to intervene, he'd have done it by now. When we're going through some stuff and we think, well, if he was going to do anything, he would have done it back then. Or he could have done it then, so he's obviously not going to do it. Or we think this situation is too far gone now for God. Or, or we think, I've made so much of a mess of this. It is all my own fault. I've made my bed. I just need to lie in it now. There's nothing that can be done. Let me tell you, it's not too late. It's not too late for God to rescue you. It's not too late for God to intervene. It's not too late for God to turn around. It's never too late for God. God provided Jonah deliverance from the crisis. And here's the next big important lesson. Jonah's deliverance didn't come walking on the waves and calming storms. Jonah's deliverance didn't come with the waters parting and him being able just to walk his way back to shore on dry ground. Jonah's deliverance didn't come with flashes of light and angels appearing and supernatural manifestations and booming Charles Heston voices. Jonah's deliverance came by getting swallowed up by a massive fish. That's unconventional. And that must have been uncomfortable. Actually, it must have been terrifying. Three days, three nights inside the belly of a fish. Often when we think of God's deliverance, we think of it as this awesome, supernatural, instantaneous freedom, and it can be. But it wasn't for Jonah. Sometimes the journey of deliverance can be one that can seem uncomfortable, uncertain, unconventional, unpleasant. Yes, the results are very real. The freedom is certain. The fact that God has delivered is without a doubt. But the journey towards that can sometimes be uncomfortable and difficult and unconventional. Jonah's deliverance was ultimately realized when God commanded the fish to vomit him out onto the dry land. That was the moment of deliverance. That was the moment that he was free from the storm of the sea and the safe on dry ground. But there was a journey that Jonah had to make from the point of rescue to the point of deliverance. That was a journey of three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. That journey was an uncomfortable journey. But it was a safe journey. See, we have to understand that sometimes deliverance is a journey. 
Unfortunately, in our Pentecostal charismaniac world, we've come to believe that if it's not instantaneous, it's not God. But actually, God is a God of the journey. Yes, there's moments in which God speaks and instantly everything changes. Instantly the chains are broken. Instantly the darkness lifts. Instantly the crisis is averted. Instantly the whole situation is turned around. God can do that and God does do that and it's awesome when he does, isn't it? But God is a God of the journey. And when you look in the scripture, you see he frequently takes people on journeys. He took Abraham on a massive journey before he had his son. Joseph journeyed from the pit to the prison to the palace to a position of prominence, to a place of reconciliation, to become all that he was meant to be. To see the fulfillment of the dreams and the visions that God gave him all the way back at the very beginning. Moses and the Israelites journeyed through the wilderness before they entered into the promised land. Mary and Martha that we looked at last week sent word to Jesus for healing, but God took them on a journey towards a resurrection. Even in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the man is rescued and he's taken on a journey to the end where he journeys to a place of restoration and healing. God is the God of the journey. And yes, there's moments that God brings instantaneous freedom and transformation with supernatural manifestations and those moments are just wonderful. But there's also moments that God takes on a journey of deliverance. A journey that at times can be uncomfortable. A journey that at times can be unsettling. A journey that at times can be difficult, even painful. And a journey that at times can be unconventional. But the hallmark that the journey is God is that even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's painful, even though it's difficult, even though it's unconventional, it will always be safe. With God, we're always safe please don't assume that because it's not instantaneous, God is not at work. God often takes us on a journey from the moment of rescue to the moment of deliverance. We need to journey with him. In the belly of the fish, in that safe place, Jonah does business with God. Let's look at it real quick in chapter two. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord as God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. In the belly of the fish, Jonah prays. And as he prays, he recounts what happened to him. Specifically, he's recounting what happened to him in the water. He's talking about seeing the roots of the mountains and seaweed being wrapped around his face. And as He's recounting this. He says his life is ebbing away. As he's drowning and facing death, square in the eye, he prayed. He called out to God. He called out to the God that he went in a huff with. To the God that he was in a mood with. To the God that he was running from. And unlike Jonah, God doesn't do tantrums. 
So he heard and he answered. You see, with God, it's not too late. It's not too late to pray. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how much you've shaked your fists at him, got angry with him, even hated him. It's not too late with God. It's not too late to pray. And God answering Jonah's prayer teaches us four really quick things about prayer. We don't have time to go into them, so let me just give you the headlines. The first is this. God answers prayer in spite of our guilt. Jonah was running from God. Jonah said, you know what? I hear what you're saying. I hear your call and your purpose. I don't want your call. I don't want your purpose. I want to write my own purpose in life. I want to be my own God. Jonah was guilty as sin, but when he called, God heard and he answered. God answers prayer in spite of our guilt. And this is something that we need to get because I know that in church circles there is this belief that if there's sin there, God won't hear you. And I understand the biblical backing to all of that, but let's make it clear. God is bigger than sin. Sin is not bigger than God. God is greater than sin, not the other way around. Sin doesn't in some way limit or restrict God. God is more powerful than sin. And God answers prayer in spite of our guilt. Thank God for that. The second thing that we learn is that God answers prayer in impossible situations. Jonah is seeing the roots of the mountains, he says. He's got seaweed wrapped around his head. And he calls out and God answers him. You think, this would have been better, Jonah, if you prayed this prayer while you were still on the boat, pal. But he prayed the prayer as he's sinking down to the very bottom. And even though he only prayed it at that moment, God answered. Because God answers in impossible situations. No situation is too far gone. No circumstance is too bleak. Nothing is too bad or too significant for God. God answers in impossible situations. Thirdly, God answers prayer in the nick of time. He says, my life was ebbing away. He was seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and he was moving towards the light and he called out to God and God answered. God is the God of the 11th hour because he's the God who doesn't function to our time scales or to our time frames. He doesn't act according to our schedules. He acts according to his schedule. He is the God who answers and he's the God who answers in the nick of time. And lastly and importantly, God answers prayer in stages. Think about this. Jonah is sinking and he calls to God and asks God to rescue him. And God did. He sent along a fish. And the fish rescued him from drowning. He was inside that fish for three days and three nights. And then he was vomited out onto dry ground. Now I reckon that the dry ground bit was the conclusion that Jonah was looking for when he prayed. That's the outcome that he wanted. However, God didn't answer that immediately. God answered his prayer in stages. He rescued him from drowning. He preserved him inside the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then he brought him onto safe ground. God took him on a journey. Again, just because God doesn't answer instantly doesn't mean he's not going to. God takes us on a journey. And he answers prayer in stages. 
He rescued him from drowning. He brought him into the belly of the fish. Inside the belly of the fish, as he's preserved there, he does business with God and he gets himself right so that when he is put onto the dry ground, he's ready to be all that he is meant to be. We've come to this place where we've come to believe that we need to pray and if God doesn't answer straight away, something's not right. That's not the case. Very often God takes us on journeys. Very often God answers prayer in stages to prepare us, to shape us, to mold us, to make us the people that we're called to be, to bring us to a place where we can live life to the fullest, where we are ready and prepared for all that he has in store for us. God answers prayer in stages. and We've got to be ready to see each stage as an answered prayer and each stage as God at work. Inside that fish, as we close, Inside that fish, Jonah spends time reconnecting with his God, praying to the God that he'd ignored, praying to the God that he'd stopped talking to. And here often is when deliverance takes place. We've got to remove the mindset that deliverance is all about rotating heads and people spewing green pea soup. Deliverance isn't always about big, massive, demonic manifestations. Actually, sometimes the purest and most profound deliverance takes place in a conversation with God. In a place of prayer, in a place of intimacy, like Jonah, we journey into full deliverance when we journey into intimacy with the Father. However, it wasn't just praying that Jonah did inside the fish. It says there in verse 9, but I with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. Jonah didn't just pray, he worshipped. In fact, the Hebrew word that's used here for sacrifice, it actually means to sacrifice an animal. How did Jonah sacrifice an animal inside the belly of the fish? It's not like he had cattle and sheep in his back pocket for emergencies just like these. How did he sacrifice? He says, I with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice. He worshipped with all that he had. He brought sacrificial worship, as in he worshipped even though it didn't make sense. He worshipped even though he couldn't understand where he was. He worshipped even though it was uncomfortable. He worshipped even though it was dark inside there. He worshipped even though he was unsure about what would happen next. He worshipped till it hurt. His journey of deliverance was marked with worship. You see, it's not too late to worship God. Often we think when we've failed him, when we've made a mess, when we've fallen at the same hurdle and fallen into the same trap over and over again, we think, well, we're frauds to come and worship him. We've shaken our fists at him. We've called him names. We've got angry at him. We've got mad at him. And we think we've disqualified ourselves for worship, but it's not too late. It's not too late to worship him. If we worship him, even though it hurts, if we worship him, even though it's uncomfortable, if we worship him with all that we've got, such worship brings us deliverance and brings us breakthrough. And it's important that it says there, Jonah didn't sacrifice with meditations of thanksgiving. He didn't sacrifice with thoughts of thanksgiving. He didn't think to himself, well, well, I'm here and it's a bit dark, I'll just have a quiet time for three days. And meditate and think through things. It says he sacrificed with songs of thanksgiving. He sang in the belly of the fish. He sang in his darkness and discomfort. 
When you find yourself in a trial and a difficulty, sing to God in your discomfort. Sing to him in your difficulty. Sing to him in your trial. Sing to him in your trials and your tribulations. Sing to him in the awkward seasons. Sing songs of deliverance and God will break out. He'll break out. Because in this moment, the word that is used is sacrifice that links to actually bringing an animal as a sacrifice. What is the purpose of that within the sacrificial system? The purpose of that is getting right with God. The purpose of that is coming into alignment with God. And that is exactly what Jonas did. Because no sooner does it say, I with songs of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. But it then says in the next line, what I have vowed I will make good. Jonah says, I'm coming to make good my vow. I vowed to serve you. I vowed that if you spoke, I would speak. I vowed to follow your voice and your word. I vowed to be obedient. Now I'm coming to the place where I'm coming into alignment with that. His moment of worship, even in the darkness of the belly of the fish, even in the discomfort and the the worry and the anxiety, his choice to worship in that moment was a choice that brought his heart into alignment with God. You see, when we come in the difficulties and the trials and the tribulations and we worship with all that we've got, we lift our focus from the circumstance to the God that is over that circumstance. We lift our focus from our surroundings to the Savior. We lift our focus from what is happening round about us to the one that holds it all together and we begin to call out who he is and we begin to focus on who he is. And in that moment, and that moment as the heart is aligned with him he steps into that circumstance and he begins to manifest in that circumstance as we begin to call out his character and his nature and his attributes and his power and his might he begins to unfold his character and his nature and his power and his might within that moment inside the belly of this fish Jonah's bringing his heart into alignment And it was as he worshipped, as he sang out his songs of deliverance, as he declared, okay God, what I have vowed, I will make good. That is when God gave the fish the tummy bug and made him spew Jonah out on the beach. He came into alignment and deliverance came. And again, it's not always, deliverance isn't always about big manifestations of demons. Actually, when we choose to come into alignment, to take that which is out of kilter and bring it back into alignment with God's plans and back into alignment with God's standards, that's when the chains begin to break and full deliverance begins to manifest. It's not too late. It's not too late to do business with God. It's not too late to align yourself with his will and his purpose. It's not too late to find freedom. Jonah goes and he declares God's message to Nineveh. Would you believe it? Nineveh repents. And the whole of Nineveh turns to God. See, it's not too late for repentance. No sin is out with the boundaries of his grace. Jonah was running, not because he'd kind of fallen out with God, but because he didn't like Nineveh. He didn't want them to come to faith. He didn't think they were worthy of repentance. He thought they were beyond it. But actually, as he went and obeyed what God said and the city came to faith, he realized it's not too late for repentance. No sin is out with the boundaries of his grace, regardless of how big it may be, how familiar we are with it. His grace is sufficient. It's never too late to repent. And it's never too late to experience revival 
as the people of Nineveh did. Let me ask you, are you running from God this morning? To fail to run with the word of God is to run from the God of the word. Are you running? It's not too late. God hasn't given up on you. He never will. It's not too late. God would want you to know it's not too late for him to rescue you in your situation. It's not too late to pray. It's not too late to worship. It's not too late to do business with him and align your heart with his will and his purpose for your life. It's not too late to repent. It's not too late to experience revival. It's not too late to encounter the heart of God. It's not too late to find the freedom that he's calling you to. We just need to come, lift our eyes to him, open up our lives and watch as he does what only